0: The award-winning crunch, crunch time. time. Riccardi direction, bounced off Cox, a oh beautiful grub oh, here for Toby Green. He read it beautifully, got himself to the right spot. He's kicked threes, team's kicked eight. Kelly, he's 50 out, he eyes the goals, he goes long and he goes long and straight! What a return to football from Josh Kelly. Oh, Kelly handballs to Brown, shrugs the tackle, on the turn, swings it towards goal from 30, it's high, and it is straight. And so Toby Green took a beautiful mark. They might get it right on the siren. He's sprinting, Riccardi settled down. Siren sounding right on the siren. Jake Riccardi inflicts further pain on the Fremantle Dockers. Yeah,
1: it was great great. Um, to play that, that style. Uh, You know they're a really strong defensive team and have been for a while now, albeit you know inexperienced. But um, you know to be able to post a hundred-point game again, to be able to um, um, do that against what is a really good defensive system, you know, is really pleasing. But but to me, it was our uh, our defence that pleased me the most.
2: Ordinary in all phases. That's how Justin Longmuir described his side's seventy-point loss to the Giants. The Dockers coach putting himself and his coaching team on notice as Toby Green leads his, his side to its sixth win of the season.
0: Having it tapped away with Burns, lost in swoops on the loose ball, pumps the fist because he's kicked the tyres. Eleventh goal. No mark taken but able to bend around and snap a goal is Burns. They just keep coming, the Saints. Up and under, is going to land in the Square King. Higgins, oh, somehow he's found a way. Along the deck, through the traffic, and Higgins has his second. The Saints have got two in a row. Dived over it, lost it, Bolton now. Breaks the tackle, lines them up. This would be a river from the boundary. Oh, they're partying now, the Tigers. Cheers around the ground. The poncho black crowd as Taranto
3: can absolutely seal it, yes he has! Yeah, it was a great win. Um, Really, we were challenged multiple times and obviously the second half became just a slog. Um, The fundamentals of the game really came into play and I thought, we looked pretty tired at the end of the third quarter, I thought. Um, So the ability to fight through that last quarter and, and stand up was huge.
2: The Tigers celebrate Trent Kotchen in style, and with three wins from four appearances under Andrew McWalter, finals are well and truly back on the cards. You're listening to Sunday Crunch Time. Yes, a very good morning from the MCG, where last night it was the scene of Richmond's triumph in Trent Cotchin's 300th game. Today, the scene where Carlton meets the Suns as the Blues try to snap a six-game losing streak. Assistant coach Ash Hansen to join us this hour. Sarah Ollie here with Tom Morris and Scott Lucas. A very good morning to you, Tom. You're looking a little bit beady-eyed this morning, a little bit tired.
4: Yep, why's that?
2: You've been up watching the cricket, I presume. Yes,
4: the last two nights have been long nights, Sarah. <laughs> the Ashes starts... The first ball each day is bowled at 8pm, so lunch is at 10, the second session starts at 10.40 to 12.40 and getting through that 12.40am to 1am tea time block is very difficult but it's doable as long as you have a red ball, something to eat and good cricket to watch and I had all three last night, it's been fantastic and I'm looking forward to talking about cricket for the next two hours.
2: What about you Scotty, were you watching the cricket last night?
1: Uh, I'd have to agree with Tom. I got to tea and I gave up. I got to tea (laughs) in good good shape and then uh, thought that would do me. Mm. The 20 minutes is just too long. If it was
4: five... Depends what the tea content is. I do remember the Dilma tea party on TV a few years ago (laughs) and it was fantastic. You had um, two blokes or two hosts sitting there with a cup of tea talking about... Nostalgic cricket. I want to see Mark Waugh's shots off the legs. I want to see Damien Martin's back foot off drives. I want to see Sarah Ollie's sweep shots, the one that used to play in the office.
2: A reverse sweep. You I might be in do. the minority,
1: Tom. 12.40 pro- saw me out. But you got through to three? No, I didn't quite get through to
4: three. Crunch time is always the priority, Scotty. Sarah, you've got a big day today.
2: A very big day after this. I'm heading off for a, a quiet lunch at just a... A very low-key establishment in the city. <laughs>
1: so us, to answer my question off-air, do you look at the menu before you go or do you like the surprise when you arrive?
4: So
2: I haven't looked at the menu oh. for today. Hang on,
1: hang on. It's Gimlet. Let's just say you're going to
4: Gimlet I am going lunch. to Gimlet.
2: Yes. As I said, a very so low-key establishment, Tom. Mm.
1: No, it'll be an enjoyable lunch.
4: It'll
2: it's be a beautiful lunch. Mm. Looking forward to meeting a good friend there for a birthday catch-up. Does it
4: turn into a long lunch?
2: You never can tell on a Sunday. We know what the answer is.
4: Sarah Ollie. it's a hard yes, I think.
2: All right, let's begin as we always do with our Sunday snaps. Tom, you've got the new ball.
4: I've got the new ball. um, And to keep the cricket theme going... Of course. Oh, wow. Don't
1: encourage him,
5: Sarah. (laughs)
4: Look, um, Usman Khawaja, he now has a higher test average than Adam Gilchrist. Bill Ponsford, who's got a statue outside Gate 1, Scotty. Um, and Doug Walters, who was one of the most iconic players of the 1970s. Since turning 35, which I must say, Scotty, isn't that old, he has seven test tons in four different countries. He's gloriously simple in terms of his execution, his persistence, his class, his perspective on the world. Justin Langer had a crack at him for wearing a jumper in the World Test Championship final when he was batting. He wore a jumper yesterday. Really? He batted the entire day, and it was unbelievable to watch. This is how it played out. Uh, in England. Usman Khawaja, two away. Stokes up to the crease, wide of it. Bowls here, Kawaja dabs through the offside. This time it's it. <laughs> Usman Kawaja down to third man for four. Oh, he gives a big, he throws the <laughs> bat in the air. Into delight, Punching his gloves, taking his helmet off to the balcony as well. That's a 15th test ton. His 7th. In this extraordinary story since returning to the side in early 2022, fourth against England, and he's first in this country, which has posed problems for him in the past, but what a way to get into the series. Usman Kawaja 102 not out, a perfect innings, just what Australia needed. Batters or cricketers or sports people that look done and find something late in their career, I have a special special spot
1: for in my heart, Scotty. Well, it's, it's huge, and you, you made a great point. At 35, most cricketers are coming off and mm. find themselves out of the team. Is Warner 36? Same age or just older. And yep. Warner's has been gone for two years, <laughs> without question. Yeah. I don't know why, but they continue to play. Yeah. Find a new one. Um, <laughs> but bowlers even, Broad and Anderson, uh, are they 37 and 40? Like, it's yeah. amazing now. I think recovery method's... I often refer LeBron James um, and footballers now that are getting older and continue well, look to Look at the tennis on. players, Federer, yeah. Djokovic, yeah. Nadal. So I just yeah. think it's investment in body and age is no longer a barrier. So just that, that work above the shoulders. I think sport we've always understood is 90% above the shoulders, but what else can you do in that? Keep mentally fresh, but also with recovery methods and so forth. We're seeing athletes go longer. Tom Brady also. Mm. And it's great to see, but he looks unflappable in the way that he approaches his game where this is how I play. He plays spin, even when it's keeping low, off the back foot. He gets deep in his crease. And just I like that he, Ted Lasso, like a goldfish, isn't it? He gets badly beaten on a ball. It's gone. Yeah, yeah treats the next one on its merit. It's great to watch. Did you enjoy it, Sarah?
2: He was so cool, calm and collected Mm. throughout his innings, but I loved when he hit those runs to bring up the ton. He just exploded like a volcano. All this emotion coming out, and he was asked about it at the end of the day, and he said, you know, like I feel like I've been saying on repeat these past couple of years, I'm going back to a place where I I was dropped from, a place where I hadn't made runs, and to be able to come back and to kind of prove prove everyone wrong, it's a huge character arc for him.
1: So watching the cricket, I reckon it was eight or ten times I heard them say how bad his record is in England. Yeah. Mm. So, it was a thing. So, that would have sat with him as well, but it didn't For it didn't um, bother him in the sense that it didn't weigh him down. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Had a bad tour last time. New tour, better player. Away I go. And he's only in the team because Travis
4: Head got COVID in the last Ashes in Australia. <laughs> if Travis Head didn't test positive for
1: COVID, then Usman Kawaja wouldn't have come back in at that time. So... Did Justin Langer refer to him in the last test with an issue for wearing a jumper? Yes. He just said he wasn't ready to go because, look at him, he's wearing a
4: it's
2: long sorry sleeve that jumper. He, yeah, he wasn't really mentally there.
1: See, therein, <laughs> to me, lies the problem with how Usman Kawaja was selected or not selected previously. Focusing oh. on the wrong things, whether he wears a jumper or not. Oh, well, Khawaja, See, and, uh, Khawaja uh, you, and
4: Langer are two completely no, different ends of the spectrum.
1: Well, that's right, and I think probably several others. But how can you draw any sort of comparison between someone wearing a jumper and whether they're in the right headspace.
4: Yep. Well, that's what Kawaja would argue, and I think modern-day well, least would argue that.
1: Argue successfully, I would say.
4: Yes. Yeah, so is it your snap now, Sarah? Yeah,
2: it's time for my Sunday snap, and it's not the first time I'm going to highlight this man this year, Toby Green.
4: Oh. <laughs> we just, is is no, this no, a no, repeat?
2: No, 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 no. Well, we could. We could go <laughs> yeah. a couple of weeks back and just play what I said. But once Fair again... Enough. He just elevates himself, and I know I've said it before, but I don't think there is another player in the league that makes their team four goals better. He does every week four goals again. He's now sitting on 36 goals, which is just four behind Charlie Cano, who leads the Coleman medal race. He's going to be a three-time All-Australian by the end of this season, Toby Green, and if I was selecting, he'd be my All-Australian captain.
1: Yeah, great call. All-Australian captain. Yeah, Mr. Mm. Intangible, isn't he? Yeah, you can't quantify all that he brings to the team, but it's so obvious that it's there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah he's Is, outstanding. I
4: got another question for you both: Is has he now overtaken Jeremy Cameron as the greatest GWS Giants player ever?
1: Well, I would have thought we we're in a, a it was a short half head in it when Jeremy left. Yeah, Cameron's more decorated because of the awards he's won. Yeah, but
4: Toby Green with his longevity and the importance that he's had on the club he's now a captain. He must either be level or past him. I know it's only a decade. No, or no, so. I would
1: have thought if you asked people at the Giants, they'd all say Toby. Would they? Yep. Yeah. I would what, have thought if Sarah
2: well, I think certainly by the time he retires, yep. there's yeah. it won't even be a conversation.
1: Yeah, I agree. I probably don't think it is now. Mm. And that's no disrespect to Jeremy. He was no. a star there and he's elevated further at Geelong. But Toby yeah. is just such a valuable first player, secondly leader and driving a culture and a standard there. I mean did we? They're playing really good football. Mm. They've had good performances, and I think they'll continue to improve as the year goes on. Um, if we look at expectations coming in, and they're just at that expectations, most wouldn't have had them where they are right now.
2: Would he be the best player in the league?
1: Yeah, of course he is. He's in, he is in the conversation. Crazy to think he's not. Mm. He's in the top half a dozen at any one time. Yep. Yeah.
2: Scotty, your Sunday snap?
1: Tim Taranto.
2: Mm. I
1: mean, and we'll get into that game later on, but just outstanding once again. I mean, he just bring, brings it every week. He had 38 last night, 10 tackles. He'll get the 10 to- coaches' votes once again. And I've just loved that he's elevated himself even further since Dimmer stood down, because I think there was that link between Hopper, Taranto, Hardwick coming in. What does that mean? You know, they've moved on when there was that sense of the last dance. Hasn't phased him, has it? Mm. He goes, I-, I play for Richmond, this is my job. This is what I want to do. And just he just shows leadership in the way that he goes about it. Fantastic effort last night by him.
4: D- do we have short memories? Tim Taranto, and you might know this better than me, but Tim Taranto was a best and fairest yes. in a grand final team yes. as a 21-year-old. Yep. So – Maybe this is VFL media bias, as people like to say. (laughs) But I remember him being a good player. I don't remember him being the player that he has been the last month.
1: Yeah, so he had an excellent year. So best and fairest in the grand final year is always huge. The problem with the Giants is they're so stacked with mids. Mm. He didn't get the midfield reps that he warranted when he was at the Giants through his own ability to play forward. So they've got mids that can't play forward. So you look at it and you go, well, Tim can. So Tim's the one that gets yeah. squeezed forward. So he becomes a goal kicker that plays on the ball a bit. So productivity goes down, value doesn't necessarily. Now, is it the. The, uh, the Tigers, I should say, and he is an A-grade mid that has to play through there because they don't have the depth through the position. And he's showing exactly what he would have done, in my view, at the Giants the last couple of years if they didn't have Tom Green, uh, Whitfield, Kelly, Ward, etc. that had to play through the middle more because they're not as uh, valuable as forwards.
2: Tim Taranto will be leading Richmond's best and Ferris. He's probably going to win it this year. Oh. Where's he going to poll come Brownlow night? Is there His a world... At the is moment. there a realm where Tim Taranto can win the Brownlow medal?
1: comes down to one thing, I think, Sarah. Ladder position and wins. We just, it just seems too hard now, unless you win 14 or 15, to get enough. Because there's so how enough
4: did Cripps go- win it then?
1: Uh, is he an exception to the rule?
2: Yeah, He had a pretty extraordinary year last year yeah. where he was kicking goals consistently. Yeah. Yeah. And, and
1: I would still look at it. What did Carlton win? 12? Yeah, not
4: enough. No, not enough. Percentage. Yeah. <laughs> sorry, sorry to rub it in.
1: Yeah, but I oh, know. Of course he can, but I think that is important. You'd like them to win at least that many 14 to help him yeah. because it's really hard to get the three and a loss, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like quite simply, you can get twos and ones. Whereas the win, a goal either way, is the difference between a one and a three vote. So that's his challenge. Uh, but if you look at the coaches' votes, hes I think he was fifth coming into the round, get another ten. So he's in the top four. So that's a real measure of his value.
4: Yeah. Uh, Tim Taranto has 33 or more disposals in e- each of his last four games. Mm-hmm.
1: Two of those are wins, two
4: are losses. Yeah. Only five players in history have done that. So... He's racking up disposals at a rapid rate. In
2: one of those losses, though, it was to Port Adelaide here at the MCG. And I think he kicked three that day. Yeah. Like, I think he could be best on ground from that game in a loss. So, he's putting together a really good body of work.
4: It's sort of a shame that the conversation around Tim Taranto has been sidetracked by Kane Corns. And I don't blame Kane Corns for this. He's giving his opinion. But the conversation around Tim Taranto in the AFL discourse should be about his football, not where he ranks on the list of AFL players, and I hope we can take Tim Toronto for what he is, rather than um, you know group his ability in with what
1: uh, a columnist or an opinionist but thinks. I don't think that's hurt Tim because yeah, interesting. Kane made the call. Yep, uh, that was his opinion at the time, and he's and he's since rejigged that opinion. Yeah, which is okay because uh, and it's a little bit like the Hawthorne discussion where you can be right and things change, and not be wrong in hindsight. Like At a point in time, perhaps Tim wasn't as valuable as he... Because he's clearly played better the last six than the first six. What I think was the case was he was certainly a lot better than Kane was giving him credit for at the time. But what it did was, a lot of people jumped to Tim's defence, and then, like us, we're watching a little bit more closely, so therefore we're acknowledging how well he's going. Perhaps we wouldn't be monitoring him as closely mm. if we weren't looking to compare to a comment made six weeks ago. Yeah. Just how you look at it.
2: A mountain was made out of a molehill. But mm. let's get into the Saturday night wrap for Werribee. Izuzu Ute upgrade your old Ute into a D-Max now. They are paying top dollar for trade-ins. So last night, in the end, here at the MCG, Richmond 13-12-90. They defeated St Kilda 11 4 In the end, a 20-point win. This was a game, like so many are, of momentum swings. St Kilda came out firing and that was a tactic. They wanted to drown out the crowd, given that it was Trent Cochin's 300th game. They started very fast, but Richmond were able to get back in the match. And I think as soon as the rain started absolutely bucketing down, you thought, this is more a Tigers match. This is the DNA that they have to surge the ball forward. And in the end, the 20-point win, I think that was a difference, Scotty
1: absolutely a lot more scoring shots so you could say that Richmond should have had a better lead after that initial start of St Kilda's but St Kilda in the last quarter killed themselves didn't they they had four or five opportunities Max had two Higgins Philippou shots they didn't even get points no They, they they should have actually hit the lead in the last quarter and then been able to apply scoreboard pressure going the other way and perhaps with momentum reinforced it with a goal or two lead but they couldn't if you looked at the totality of the game richmond you're quite right deserved that 25 shots to 15 but in that moment in the last quarter, end of the third start of the last mm. and Kilda were all over them just couldn't convert and finish albeit in really difficult conditions to do that but then richmond went and kicked a couple of classy goals and that was the end of it. Max King twice, Philippu yeah.
4: Higgins, none of them scored from no. their
1: shots. And you'd expect maybe one or two of those to go in. I know it was well. Oh, well, You've just you just got to finish. It's funny with those they actually you look at 11-4 and go, "Gee, they were very accurate." But there's so many shots. Doesn't and tell the true story. No, it doesn't. So hey. many scores didn't make the distance. And that that's the one area I mean they defend well. They push back hard and support. They just weren't able to finish in that last quarter. I got a question for you
4: both. If Every game of the AFL season was played in last night's conditions. Mm. Where would Richmond finish on the ladder? Uh, higher. Top yeah. four. Yeah, higher. Top, Top four, four at least. Yeah. I wish you could measure how well they play in wet weather compared to every other team. But from my eye, there's no better wet weather team over the last four or five years. And that's even when they've missed finals or haven't gone deep in finals.
1: And I would put the lines up there with the way yeah. that they play um, because they play sur- they've play. got big bodies and they play surge football as well. And yeah. That, that works at the Gabba because it's slippery, but then if you applied that to wet weather everywhere, I think they would probably prefer those conditions. Also, they're two teams that stand out, and then you've got others that like to control. Probably the Suns as well, up in Darwin. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're the same thing. They play because they play Gold Coast slippery. They'll tend to possess it less and go longer and more direct.
2: You just mm. can't get too cute when it's weather like that, can you, you? And even some of those shots late for St Kilda, I just thought like Jack Higgins, he was kicking from 50 in the wet. Like yeah. perhaps that wasn't the right option. Max always King difficult. around his body, that was always going yeah. to be difficult in yeah. the wet as well. So it's it's also just decision-making, isn't it?
1: It is. and But it's a little bit like the, the tackling, Sarah, I think where players are conditioned to playing a certain way. And it's very hard to monitor yourself or regulate yourself. So the weather comes, we're playing a game style. Now all of a sudden we've got to change. So you pick up a ground ball, you automatically look for a give on the inside to change the lane. You do that in the wet weather. You're still used to doing that, but it falls off your hand. Whereas, you know, these teams like Richmond get it, kick it forward, surge. It just, it, it's what they always do. So, And Ross Lyons said it in his press conference. Like, you know, it gets really difficult to change the lanes and take it off the line in those conditions. Uh, it becomes a really simple, fundamental game. And because that's Richmond's game and they know it back to front no doubt when the rain came, Richmond would have felt really comfortable with that. We'll get to Trent
4: Cochran a little bit later, but also um, a key saint in some MRO trouble. But Dustin Martin had 34 disposals, and I don't think it's any coincidence that he played so well in a game when his mate was celebrating his 300th match. Dustin Martin's 300... Uh, sorry, thirty-four disposals. The last time he got thirty-four was also against St Kilda, round five, 2021. and he hasn't
1: got thirty-four oh. since twenty nineteen. Before that, I've never <laughs> known a player to. Re- I still think, perhaps up till a year ago, if he wanted to be best on ground every week, he could be. <laughs> no, I, I, and <laughs> well, I, he he, three he, I, last I think what what he. Regu- well, decides he decides won- not to be best on ground. I think he's happy. Well, if you look at his years. His Brownlow year got an enormous amount of votes. Basically best on ground every week. Mm. Since then, he's played a more moderate game. But then come... If you look at his years after that, he comes to the finals and he goes foot to the floor and he's best on ground in every final (laughs) where he hasn't been best on... He's best on ground once a month for the season. Then he Mm. goes, no, no, time to turn. Three games, bang. Flick a switch. I think he flicks a switch and he plays... There's an element of just within himself, but when he needs to, he can. And... It sounds crazy, but last night, I reckon, yep, a close mate of his 300th, it's time to foot to the floor and I'll show you what I can still do. And Vloston the first goal he's kicked in three years as well.
2: Well, I was just going to mention and He was pretty instrumental playing as that sweeper with 18 disposals and nine marks. But did Man St Kilda up. miss a trick there?
1: Well, they fold up, so they'll push up the ground and go a line. He just held his spot. So they, they you had St Kilda wanting to play how they play and... Nick saying, "Well, oh, this is what we want to do. We want the wicket-keeper and the protection back. Yeah, I think they should have.
2: He did it last week against Fremantle yeah. as well. So, like- and he's
1: too instrumental. So sometimes it's always a do you do we do what we do, mm. and how much you put into taking away what the opposition want to do. And I thought that was a, a time when perhaps they could have spent more time just take him out of it and let Richmond come up with another method of defending. What mm. do we make of St Kilda?"
4: They won their first four games. They're now win-loss, win-loss, win-loss for the last 10 matches. Mm-hmm. That is a bizarre form line that, by definition, is, is almost impossible to, to read and to dissect.
2: They're still eight and five, though. And they they're are. still in striking distance of the top four, are they not?
4: They're in striking distance mathematically of the top four, but I think watching them, you'd be surprised if they finished in the top four. They're more of a, a six to ten team, the way they're playing. But... The the win-loss, win-loss makes it hard to get any sort of um, understanding of how deep they can go. Talking semantics, I'll probably
1: see them five to eight. I think, eight, eight, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. So, so, we, so, you
4: think they're definitely going to make finals?
1: I think eight and five. What is there? There's ten games to go. They need to win four or five of those. Yeah, so, under look, under your win loss form line, yeah, they make it, don't they? They do. So but, they have to actually go worse. And I think there's scope for them to improve. But look, who's outside the eight? You've got Geelong and even
4: Richmond now knocking on the door. There's some reasonable teams outside the eight that probably would expect yeah. to get in or get close to get in. Do we, Certainly Geelong would yeah, expect to get in. Six and seven. You know they're, they're spluttering along Who would you back In a game right now Geelong or St Kilda That doesn't actually matter I know it doesn't matter Because
1: they don't play Against each other To make the 8 They play against Their fixture yeah, So we've okay. got to, we yeah, to Dig okay. deeper and see Who have St Kilda got On the run home Who have Geelong got yeah. my understanding Geelong got Melbourne this week Yeah So there's there's one answer Who have St Kilda got Well they've got uh,
2: the Lions At Marvel Stadium On Friday night That's
1: massive Off a short break yeah. as well The so Saints but That's
2: going to be A massive test It is
1: But you got Geelong At 6 and 7 I'd say if you go 6 and 8 It's a long road back. Yeah. And Melbourne, we saw them play extremely well coming off a break. Dangerfield out for Geelong. I'm sure we'll touch on it, Tom, as I go back to our WhatsApp thread and what (laughs) you wanted to talk about later on. The news whip. Yeah. It's um, a big game for Geelong, isn't it? How do you you read the Saints, Sarah?
2: Hmm. Yeah, I think they're just thereabouts. I don't think there are many excellent teams this year. In fact, I think maybe there are two at yeah. this point in time. Yep. I know it's just the midway part of the season, so all of that can change. But for me, I think St Kilda are doing well to be where they are. Mm. And the inconsistency is maybe a little bit of the sugar hit wearing mm. off when it comes to Ross Lyon being there. Maybe teams getting a better sense of how it is that you beat them. But I think St Kilda beat themselves as much as anything mm. last night if they'd taken a few more of their opportunities. Just a side note... What was with the seagulls last night?
4: (laughs) There's no eagle on the top of the Shane Warne stand anymore. I lost sight
2: of the ball at certain patches of the game.
1: Yeah, that long long weekend for the eagles. (laughs) So the seagulls came. (laughs) (laughs) What is it? When the, the cat's away, the mice do play? We got that. The two big eagles that used to soar around were just having the night off. Were you annoyed by them, Sarah?
2: Well... I mean, I was just a bit perplexed. Like, w- yeah. why were they all gathering well, here at the MCG? Well, I think
1: it's mating season, if you're not aware. <laughs> and uh, they're the grass.
4: <laughs> I have no idea. You know, there is... Uh a famous vision of Bobby Quiney, the Melbourne Stars player, picking up a wounded seagull in a BBL game about a decade ago out here. So they do enjoy the MCG turf, but traditionally there's been a big eagle or a bird sitting above the Shane Warne stand, which I don't believe is is there anymore, or, or wires crossing could, the stand.
1: Could they have seeded the ground? Could they have added some... Grass seed to we the ground late in the week. Completely out of school, aren't we? We've got yeah, no idea. We're, make, we're <laughs> making it up. Yeah.
2: This has been the Saturday night wrap for Werribee Izuzu Ute. Werribee Izuzu Ute. They make buying cars easy. I'll tell you what. The big, big sound. They had a big, big win yesterday. <laughs> we're going to unpack it next.
0: Into crunch time Zito Power Tools German design quality and innovation Powering DIYers All day, every day Visit Beric GWM Havel And test drive the GWM Canon CC Part of the Beric Motor Group So they're keeping that four goal margin here The Giants five in for this bounce Briggs takes him down in the tackle And he's gone Nice work by the big man In the air and doing that one at grand level. Pumps the Giants back inside, forward 50. Riccardi direction, bounced off. Cox, oh, beautiful crumb here for Toby Green. He read it beautifully, got himself to the right spot. He's kicked threes, team's kicked eights.
2: In the end, he kicked for Toby Green as the Giants. They recorded a 70-point win over the Dockers. Welcome back to Crunch Time for Ozito. Powering DIYers all day, every day at Bunnings. And that 70-point loss, Tom and Scotty, the biggest under Justin Longmuir's tenure. It wasn't pretty for the Dockers.
4: Well, they've lost two in a row after winning four in a row. And we spoke about St Kilda before the break, how they're a bit confusing. I don't quite know what to make of them. I'm a bit the same with the Dockers, because I was probably seduced by their month, but mm. the opposite's also true the last fortnight,
1: Scotty. Absolutely. They had some bad losses before they got on that little win yeah. run, didn't they? Um, and uh, you might want to calm the farm <coughs> on uh, the potential of Sean Darcy getting traded out. Was that made mention of a couple of weeks ago when Luke Jackson yeah. was very good? Yeah. <laughs> because since he's been out, they've lost their last two.
4: Yeah. <laughs>
1: he's also and your client. Yeah, I've got to come clean on that. Yeah, uh, We've probably spoken about Sean far too much as a result of some well,
4: is it pretty Western Australian
1: uh, comments that I've responded to with you guys. Yeah. But yeah, look, Kieran Briggs, credit to him. He, smat, he really gave Luke Jackson a touch-up. And it just shows, and it's unfair to Luke in the sense that we rated him as a very good player based on a third quarter and a grand final after I believe that, you know, Max Gorn did a lot of the softening up of, you know, Tim, <laughs> Tim English, English, et cetera. That, yeah. yeah. And Luke Jackson's, I think, value is he's a really tough matchup up forward and then he's almost a, another on-baller on the field. But to play one ruck for 80% of the time is a different game because mm. they're really big. They're massive men, the rucks, and Luke's a little bit more mobile, et cetera. And Briggs is a big boy who's in career-best form, but sixteen six out of the centre – Tells you that they missed their number one ruck.
2: And it was something that Justin Longmuir touched on yeah. after the game. He said not only that, but because they were taking Luke Jackson out of the forward line, yeah. it changed that composition mm. as well. They only kick five goals from the day. But the coach himself, he was wearing the pain after the match. Let's take a listen to Justin Longmuir. Oh,
5: we're, we're ordinary in all phases. We just, yeah, and they were they're very good, and we couldn't match him. I think when you uh, dish up a performance like that, you you have to look at your preparation. So we will need to look at our week. Um, yeah, we just didn't get didn't get the contest right. All over the ground, all aspects. Um, we got we got beaten up. So yeah, that's that's not good enough. Ranked losses or wins on what's worse, but yeah. We've, we're all pretty flat in the rooms after that. um, And we need to have a look at ourselves as as a coaching group and make sure we're preparing our players the best, giving them the right messages. Uh, Yeah, because like I said, who dish up a performance like that, it's it's on the back of your week, not what happens on game day. So we weren't a well-prepared team and uh, that's what we want to be. We're not a
4: well-prepared team. Justin Longmuir taking some ownership over what the Dockers dished up yesterday, Scotty, the Dockers have lost the first quarter in 16 of their last 17 matches and the 12th time this year. Is that coaching or is
1: that players? It can be both. Can I just ask, did anyone in that press conference follow up the question with, what do you mean? No. So, so I'd, love, I'd have loved, and I clearly wasn't there, Tom. No. And neither Sarah, were we. No, neither, neither were you. But expand on that. Justin, what do you mean specifically? Um, did you get? I mean, physically, the. So he talked about getting beat up. That to me is more a player's. You, like you've got to be ready for the battle. You know that the the Giants pride themselves on the contest, so be be ready for that. I, I don't think the coach needs to instill the motivation to be physical and ready to compete. The technical aspect is what you're talking about where, okay, what do the Giants do? How do they set up? What was their centre bounce like that saw them get nutted 16-6? to Their transition, I mean, you watch that game. The Giants opened them up like a sieve, didn't they? Plus 24 inside 50s. So what happened there was that we didn't, squeeze, we didn't press up, we didn't drop back. What is it and what didn't they prepare for well enough? But clearly they got opened up like they shouldn't have.
4: But it's the same every week. 16 of their last yeah. 17 first quarters, Sarah. That, that's a damning statistic. And you can't be a successful team if you're losing the first quarter well, almost every single that's
2: week. That's attitudinal, isn't it?
1: I think so.
4: It's yeah, I,
2: You've got to be
1: ready to go. Like, Absolutely. I mean, yeah, you, you've got to be and it's the old, uh, what do you mean they weren't ready to play? Yeah. Well, clearly you're not. You've got to be on early, ready for the contest. I mean, there'll be, if you looked into it, it'd be something like 80% of the teams that lead a quarter time win. There'll there'll be, a, it is, and so many times we see teams get caught out in the first 10 minutes, three goals to zip, and they lose, but they spend all day petrol tickets getting back into the and then lose by three goals. So you've got to start well. You've got to be up for it early and set a scene. And I think To your point earlier about Toby, I mean, how many games do we see him set the scene early? Absolutely. Like on the way against Geelong, when they beat them about three weeks ago, it was like that brutal start. Early on, I remember watching that game and the commentators making mention the Giants are on today. Geelong are in for a real battle. Same yesterday. What was it? Four goals to zip in the first quarter. Mm. They come out and they start well and they set a scene. So, and to that, does he get some going? So you need players that lead by example and that they're they're a young midfield um you start to look and beyond strategy and tactics and go okay is there something to be gained from that five starting in the center bounce and bowling someone over and getting you know just looking for different ways because you've got to start better yeah. in the game and then that might be far too simplistic but he was really pointed wasn't he when he said we didn't prepare well like, was, we got we got Monday to Friday worse, so I was wondering, you know, from a physical prep, did they train too hard? Did they not feel like they did enough? Or did they just not prepare well enough for their opposition to know what they want to do, and we didn't take anything away from them, and we were too easy to play against?
2: Right, right, let's head to the Gabba because on Friday night, it was the Lions 13 19 They defeated the Swans 12-9-81 to record a 16-point win. This was probably the best performance of the Swans in a while. They came out, you talk about intent, yeah. they came out with intent and actually had the game on their terms for significant periods of the match. Brisbane, though, in that third term, if they'd kick straight, they win by a much bigger margin, which is something that Chris Fagan was lamenting after the match, but For the Lions, it was significant because they snapped that two-game losing streak. And of course, Tom, the biggest news around this game was the selection news. Jack Gunston and Daniel Rich dropping themselves. Now, do we believe that they both waltzed into Chris Fagan's office and said, You know what, Chris? I don't think we're up to it this week. Is that too much of a dink?
4: Well, my... my <laughs> dink, Scotty, my view is I trust Chris Fagan and the Brisbane Lions until I have a reason not to. If some other clubs said this, I'd be more sceptical, but I've always had a good relationship with the Lions and I do trust them. And I also think this, from what I know of Jack Gunston and Daniel Rich, they're very realistic about where they're at. So I do
1: trust them, but by the look on your face, you don't, Scotty. <laughs> oh. Well... <laughs> You can't not trust them because you you take it on face value. But you know, did the players do that because they felt they were going to get dropped anyway, and they thought they'd jump before they're pushed? I don't know. Um, And just listening to a bit of commentary, go you know, go away and train for a month, get forget the match fitness, get the fitness back up so that you can push for a spot in the finals team. Well. I tend to think at that age the best thing they could do is be playing senior football out there and working their way back into form. I mean, unless I d- they're physically
4: banged up and they need a physical break, a bit like Paddy Dangerfield last year, give them a little preseason in June, July, and get them ready for. It could turn out to be a masterstroke.
1: Yeah, yeah, no. Look, it could, but I just I don't know whether I'd give up my spot at this stage of the year at that age. Readily. No, I think Kingston gets back in. Because there's... What's to say that you go away and you train for a month and the team wins four in a row and there's no spot for you and and the configuration of the dynamic of the team changes because we've put a different tall in, like Fort played on the weekend, so he provides backup ruck support, yeah. which allows Danner and Hibwood not to go into the ruck. All of a sudden, Fort has a couple of really strong performances, so we prefer that. Or you put in a younger player into the halfback spot for Rich and he goes really well.
4: Yeah, but all and, Scotty...
1: You get so tired and
4: fatigued and play bad footy and you're done. And then you're physically cooked by September. So even if you are selected, yeah. you're no chance of playing. They must have waited up. This is not a decision that comes lightly. But it's around 14. I'll sort of back it. It's around f-
2: well, they discovered what do you a think, few th- Sarah? Well, they discovered a few things about a few kids. Mm. One of them, a debutante, Jasper Fletcher, a father-son recruit. They've picked up two beauties when it comes to father-sons. Just watching him evade Aaron Francis so easily mm. with that running goal. It showed he has plenty about him. I thought Kyle Lohman also did some nice things. The, and Kitty different Coleman, energy, wasn't Coleman. there? Coleman off so, halfback so, as well.
1: So I'm with you. That We saw two older players give up their spots and we saw some real energy from mm. young players. If I was the coach and I'm looking at young, fresh legs, I'd want to explore that further in the next few weeks and see where that can take them because it adds a different look to them.
2: Hmm. All right, we are at the MCG as we build up towards Carlton and the Gold Coast Suns. And our special guest up next is Blues Assistant Ash Hansen.
0: You're listening to Crunch Time. Time.
4: Zito Power Tools. German design quality and innovation powering DIYers. All day, every day. Visit Berwick GWM Havel and test drive the GWM Canon CC. Part of the Berwick Motor Group.
2: Welcome back to Sunday Crunch Time. Sarah, Ollie, Tom Morris and Scott Lucas here at the MCG as we build up towards Carlton and the Gold Coast Suns. Ash Hansen is going to join us in a matter of minutes. What are your initial thoughts heading into this game, Scotty? Because it's a pressure cooker environment at Carlton right now.
1: It is, isn't it? And they need to win today. Now, that's an understatement. But if you were to lose... Gold Coast don't play here a lot. They don't have an incredible win loss record here. When they do, I'd suggest it's significantly in the loss, favours the loss. So they, four four twelve, four yeah. wins twelve losses. They should win today, Carlton. Uh, but Gold Coast are the informed team. Mm. If you were picking form, you'd go Gold Coast. But I just think Carlton need to get the job done. They're not as bad as they're playing, but you can only say that for so long. Yeah, uh, and they need to just disappointing thing last week, and we talked about the kick inside forward 50, that decision-making, giving them their forwards a chance. But the third quarter out of the midfield, and the midfield, an Essendon midfield without Parrish, was really concerning. And Merritt getting sat on by uh, Ed Curnow meant that it was respectfully... The second banana's almost like you had Hobbs um, and will do the mm. job. And that was just what was really concerning for Carlton. So they've got to fix that midfield... Uh, and their centre bounce work, and give their forwards a decent chance. But the number one thing, kick straight. So I'm sure when we talk about it, there's that balance about, you know, c- where's it sit, the coaches and the players? Well, I'd say, well, I'm, like, you can't be critical of the coaches when your players can't kick straight. Mm. I mean, that just comes down to, guys, you've got to get the job done. Uh, they had more inside 50s against the Bombers. They just can't convert. So conversion is also another issue for them today.
2: One of those coaches is joining us now, Carlton assistant coach Ash Hanson on the boundary. Ash, welcome to Crunch Time.
3: Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for joining.
2: Take us into the club inside the four walls this week after the disappointing loss. How do you re-energise this group? Did you do anything different? How did the week look?
3: Yeah, uh, we're certainly disappointed um, with the results at the moment, but the key thing is we're not despondent. And within the four walls, As coaches you try to create um, an environment where there's high accountability for actions but it's also an environment that they want to rock up to every day so we've certainly been um, pulling different levers to make sure they're stimulated and engaged and want to be in the environment but then having the balanced approach of the accountability around where we want to go and the process that we need to follow to make sure that we're getting the result on the weekend that our fans and our players are striving really strongly for.
4: Ash, you've been in footy for a long time now, and you, as a player and an, as, as an assistant coach, when you sit with Michael Voss and the other coaches on a Monday morning or where, whenever you meet after the game, what? how long do these meetings go for and how, long, um, oh, how difficult is it to come up with solutions to re-energise the players, especially this time of the year? I'd imagine there'd be a lot of clubs that would be trying to find many different ways to... I guess motivate the players and teach them new things so they can learn and play better on the weekend.
3: Yeah, uh, you're right Tom. It certainly takes a lot of time um, on a Monday. Uh, Generally we'll meet for probably two and a half hours and and go through the game in a fair level of detail but then avoid getting caught too much up in the weeds because you can dig really deep but then sometimes the most obvious things are the things you have to chase. Um, We try to keep our weeks fairly consistent in our approach to the educational side of the game and making sure that we're breaking up the game into into little parts because we know that the educational point of retention um, and the learnings that come out of your meetings um, need to be absorbed. So um, that's drip-fed over the course of the week with clearly a focus on the upcoming opponent and then aligning what came out of the previous match that's going to be really important for this week. So um, I guess from a coaching perspective, that's where we sit. Um, and similar to what I said before you're still looking for different ways to stimulate, engage with the players during the week because it's a long year um, and certainly when results aren't going your way you're probably not getting that sugar hit every, every week so Reminding the players of their strengths um, and showing them what they're doing well, but with a level of accountability, which I spoke about before, is really important. So, the hardest thing about coaching is the artistry of that balance, um, which you, you probably—it's like a seesaw. Every week, sometimes you might go a little bit hard on the accountability, and then some weeks you might go a little bit Harder on the strengths. It really depends on the mood of the group. Group and and Vossy then engage with the leadership group and getting a sense of the locker room temperature and and listening to them. Um, so. It, It really is a collaborative approach um, from a number of ways, Monday, Tuesday, to set up your week.
4: I was intrigued with what Mark Murphy said on ABC yesterday. I know that he's been out of the Union Sanctum for a couple of years, but he said the feeling is Carlton has invested in a stoppage game and the AFL has turned into a turnover game with quick, risky football and they just haven't trained that and are trying to rectify, rectify that during the season. How accurate is that?
3: Uh, well, it's not accurate because he hasn't been in the InterSanctum. Yep. Um, so we've certainly trained that. And we, are, we clearly know that um, the profile of the best teams is, is transition football. Um, but then getting field position from stoppage is really important. And funnily enough, um, our transition nature early in the year was quite good and was holding up. It was our stoppage play, which is our strength from last year, which probably wasn't giving us great mm. field position. So um, you can get caught chasing your tail, I think, as a coaching group as we continue to know our playing list and know what we need to protect in our game style that makes our DNA so strong, um, that's what we're learning every week. So I think um, it's not naive, but every part of the game has its place um, and you've got to know what works for your playing group and then make sure that, I suppose, you're touching on that and protecting that in your preparation each week, Um, but then developing and um, growing your blind spots because you want to try and minimise those as much as you can too.
1: Ash, from a technical and coaching point of view, What is the number one priority to fix slash adjust to see a strong performance today?
3: Clearly, um, in the third quarter last week, um, our centre bounce and and stoppage work didn't give us the field position and the chance um, to convert, so centre bounce and stoppage will be critical today, especially against the Gold Coast Suns, who play a high contest game, and then making sure that our shot quality is high, so... Our inside 50 conversion to score is quite high, but our shot quality is quite low. So we've been doing a fair bit of work on trying to create better shots, which will in turn um, give us greater accuracy. Uh, and then that scoreboard nourishment and pressure on the opposition.
1: Ash, you mentioned the goal kicking. It's been talked about, obviously, in relation to Harry a fair bit. What role do the coaches play in how a player approaches their set shot routine, What control does the player have? And what additional resources can you put around a player to support that?
3: Well, yeah, goal kicking, um, it's multidimensional. And I guess the the role that the coach plays is relationship-based with the player. But at the end of the day, the player has the final say because I'm sitting in the coach's box when Harry lines up and I'm hoping that um, the support and the guidance that we've spoken about and given him during the week translates onto the field. So he has the ultimate say. Um, And don't worry, I can be as frustrated as the fan out there when we've spoken about something during the week and it doesn't quite align. Um, But it's his 100th game today, Harry, and the last 25, I guess he's learnt a lot around football and his role and the best way to to execute. And I think he's on the right path. He's a very smart footballer. He knows the work he has to do in the off-season. He's really aware about his responsibility um, this season and what he needs to do to, to make sure that yeah we're getting reward for effort inside Ford 50. Um, we certainly have um, the mental skills approach um, that that Tara Kavanagh our in-house psychologist provides the players from the mental perspective and then the coaching perspective is clearly the technical aspect of the game and then we have the training environment that we need to provide players so they have the opportunity and if you use Harry and Charlie and a few others no, none of them practice more. so. Uh, what frustrates me a little bit in the media is when they say oh, they can't practice enough these days, a the sort of sports scientist, don't allow them. That's, that's a lot of BS. They, they do a lot of practice on it, but sometimes more practice can inhibit you. Um, so, um, yeah, some of those guys are in a form slump, they're aware of it, but certainly we don't want that footy you know, feeling like a medicine ball in their hands when, when they're lining up. We want them to be light and free. and and know to follow their process and their routine and backing the work they've done during the week. So at, yep. long, long answer, but multidimensional.
4: <laughs> well, I'll ask for a short answer. We've got about 30 seconds till a hard break. If Brendan Gale called you this week, would you take his call and, um, and be interested in a job at Richmond? <laughs> I've
3: got a lot of focus on Carlton at the moment. Um, <laughs> but I suppose when it, when any club reaches out, you always have the conversation um, because they're, they're highly prestigious roles, but certainly I haven't given it much thought. Um Inside 50s is all I think about at the moment. Good <laughs> Good answer. Well, Ash, nice. best
2: of luck today against the Gold Coast Suns and thanks for joining us on Crunch Time.
3: Thanks, Sarah.
2: Ash Hanson, Carlton, Very assistant good. coach there. Yeah. I reckon he'd be taking that phone call. 100%. You, of course
3: he would.
1: Yeah. Assistant
4: yeah. at the Dogs for nine years now at Carlton. Yeah. He's one of the highest-rated assistants yeah. in the
1: AFL. Yeah. Uh, but he's, respe- as you'd expect, respectful of the position and what they need to achieve at Carlton. So, yeah. Um, Firmly focused on that And it was really interesting My follow up question Was going to be But he expanded so much on it It's just how you break down The mental side V the physical Mm. And uh, he summed it up Really well didn't he That it's a mixture of both Any more to
2: come On Crunch Time